0: Starts with the right golf ball, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Edel Golf, hit it, flip it, dial it in, and the McLemore Club Experience, live above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro.
1: Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me here on Next on the TM, your host, Chris Mascaro. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by three of the top instructors in the game, plus the CEO of a pretty cool new product that I'm looking forward to learning about and sharing with you. We'll talk about who they all are in just a moment, but before we do, I want to thank all of you again for keeping the show steady at number two in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list for the month of July. So we've been number two For June and July, so we've got one goal left to achieve, and that's getting to number one. So please continue to vote, and you can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot fifty. We're so close. Your votes are gonna make the difference. I really appreciate your wonderful support. And speaking of wonderful support, I want to give a shout out tonight to Michael Kuznar. Michael I really appreciate all the support you've given me in the show over social media, particularly on Twitter. Thank you so much for doing that. You're very much valued. Okay, on to tonight's show. First up is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Tonight, TP and I, we're going to get into the mental side of the game and how important attitude and believing in yourself, how both those things are very important to the outcomes that you're going to achieve when you're playing. All the negative self-talk that we do out on the course and when we're not playing well. It's going to manifest itself in more poor swings, more poor putts, and obviously very bad score. So let's not do that. I'll talk to him about that and so much more tonight. Looking forward to having TP back as part of the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from the guy who may know more about the technical aspects of the golf swing than probably anybody on the planet. And that's Bob Grissette. We're going to break down some of those all-time great swings and what made them great, plus the evolution of the golf swing from players finishing in a reverse C to now where we've got our lead leg and our back perpendicular to the ground. We'll also talk about why the putting stroke went from a lot of wrist action to almost none at all now. Looking forward to having Bob back as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visitor from the head PGA professional at the Pittsburgh Field Club, Chris Sheehan. The Field Club, as it's known in my hometown of Pittsburgh, is located not far from downtown. It dates back to 1915, and a lot of legendary course designers like Alexander Finlay, Donald Ross, A.W. Tillinghast, Robert Trent Jones Jr., and Tripp Davis nowadays have lent their hand and they're taking that golf course, redesigning it a little bit, making sure the course layout is just right. It's famous for its 18th hole, which was originally a 277-yard par 4, straight uphill. It was so severely uphill, legend has it, that a few members had heart attacks and died while trying to climb that hill during the summer. It's now a par 3 with an elevator that takes you up to the green level, so we'll hear about the course and all of its history and a lot more from Chris when he joins me later on in the hour. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from Kyle Groff. Kyle is the co-founder and CEO of Whiskers Golf. They've got some great golf shoelaces and socks and a bunch more that's really going to knock your socks off. Looking forward to having him as part of this show. We'll talk about the designs and the patterns and the black and yellow striped shoelaces that I got to get in my dress shoes for this football season. Looking forward to hearing all about it from Kyle, who joined join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I were there again this year for our annual golf trip, and it was even better the second time around. Everything about what they have up there is first class. The accommodations are fantastic. The practice facility is great and got even greater now that they've opened their new Himalayas putting course. The on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. Can't say enough great things about it, folks. Go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular it is for yourself. Golf Course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend in PGA Tour Caddy and one of my guests from a few weeks ago, Kip Henley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000, and then Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying such great things about it by going online, TheMacLemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf is an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cat-back design with a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade. Beyond Driven. Okay, my first guest tonight is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. If you want to take your game to the next level this summer, folks, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club up in Charlottesville, Virginia. So if you're in the Virginia, West Virginia, or D.C. areas, just a short drive to go meet Tom over there. If you can't go see him in person, download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through that app. Please check out his website, TomPatrick.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatrickGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where you can watch nearly 150 free video playing lessons. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Advisory Board, and it always does my heart good to have him with me on Next on the Tee. TP, how are you, my friend?
2: Oh boy, I'm Chrissy time!
1: T P how are you, my friend?
2: I'm good, Pat. How are you know, Chrissy? What's going on? Oh. Number two on the podcast. It's unbelievable. You guys are rocking. You're the best. It's fun. it's incredible. Very blessed. Yeah, very blessed. Couldn't be more thankful. Unbelievable. And it's all because of great guests like you, unbelievable. Tom. Unbelievable. Incredible. Incredible stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed. Tom, I gotta get uh... The live golf conversation out of the way tonight. And since we last spoke, we've seen Brooks Kepka officially join them. Carlos Ortiz went that way. We hear Paul Casey is on his way to live. And then whispers in the wind, little rumors, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shuffley, Victor Hovland, one of those guys, all of those guys could be next. If that were to happen, Tom, we'd have eight of the top 30 over on the live, what, the live tour, I guess you'd say. That happens. Where do we go from here, Tom? I mean, is Jay Monahan, is going to try to do something if he if he digs his heels in, and Greg Norman remains steadfast that he wants to crush the PGA Tour? Well, I just I just don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm as a fan, I just you know sit back and get your popcorn to watch what happens. But I'm starting to get a little concerned that boy, a lot of guys are heading over there. It seems like a steady stream of one or two a week.
2: I'm going to go back to this thing I say to you every time we talk about this. And you can talk about the money. You can talk about the poor way, the poor way the PJ Tour is handled. I think I have handled it very poorly. You can talk about, you know, whether you like or dislike Greg Norman and his tactics. You can talk about a lot of things. It goes back to one thing for me, Chris. And it's always going to go back to one thing for me, Saudi. And you want to get in bed with the Saudi? if that's who you want to get in bed with, if that's who you want to hang with, if that's what you're okay looking away from and, and overlooking the things that they've done and represent, then then go ahead and do that. I mean, if, if that's what it is. And I think JT, JT made the best comment of all time. He just wants to say somebody, why don't you guys just stand up and say what it really is. I went for one thing. It's a money grab. That's all it is. I went for the money. I didn't go because it's going to better golf. I didn't go because it's a better tour. I didn't go because it's a greater opportunity to play great golf or it's, it's an, an inc- they have incredible sights or anything like that. It's a money grab. And if that's what you're all about, and that's who you are, and you want to take money from the Saudis, have at it. Now, as far as Xander Schaafi and Patrick Cantley are concerned and Victor Hovland, Hovland's been rooming for you know a number of weeks now. It's amazing to me. And you, you, I think you saw it, because I saw it, the comments that Fred Couples made about Mickelson and the live tour this past week. And I, and I give Fre- Freddie a lot of credit for standing up and saying what he said. But my understanding is that Cantley and Freddie have become good friends. And and and, and now what's going to happen, like the comments he made about Mickelson, I don't care if I ever talk to him again or play golf with him again, does this whole thing create an incredible divide among great friends who have played tournament golf together for God knows how long? and? And what does it do to relationships that are that are, you know, important relationships in the golf in the golf world? It's it's ugly on every front. Just it's just absolutely ugly on every front.
1: So let's make it ugly on yet another front because, as we've seen oh. over the last few days, right? Ian Poulter sued the DP World Tour so that he could go play in the Scottish Open, and he won. Oh, by the way, at least a temporary stay. It it could start to get to a point, Tom. Where this thing gets litigious. I mean, if, if the, if the majors, and we know the PGA tour doesn't run the majors, but if Augusta National and the USGA and the RNA and the PGA of America were to get together and say, nope, none of the guys that have defected and gone over to the LIB tour, they are no longer allowed to play in our, in the, in the four majors. And now we start to get the attorneys involved. I mean, this, this could really, I mean, I get the personal things from player to player could get ugly, but boy, you start to get lawyers involved, and this thing really starts to get super
2: ugly. Yeah, so let me answer on two different fronts. There, first of all, Ian Poulter is what the English people call a wanker. Okay, and I'll leave it at that. He's a complete, he's a complete wanker. Okay, hey Poulter, I hope you're listening. You're a wanker. Okay, give me a call, Poulter. You wanker. And that's number one. Number two is. On the legal side, you're right, Chris, it, 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 and it's going to happen. It's, it, that's the first of, of many situations that will involve lawyers and, and courtrooms and, and rulings and, and a tremendous amount of money being spent both on players' parts and on tournaments, tournament directors' parts and back and forth. It's, it's You're right. It's going to get incredibly, you know, a whole other front that we were just beginning to unravel and address. Um it, It's bad for golf. Okay. I have friends in, in my golf world that think the live tour is a great opportunity. And I look at them like, w- what the hell are you talking about? And they look at me like, don't you understand, Tom? So even, even on my own front, on a personal front, Chris, it's, it's creating a little bit of, of a divide. And, and I'm, listen, I have dug my heels in not because of what it, what it's doing to the PJ tour It has nothing to do with that for me. It has to do with who the studies are. Period. It has to do with ethics and morals and how you treat human beings, um, both males and females, uh and in different cultures. And and for me, I I I can't I can't accept it or condone it in any way, shape, or form.
1: All right, so let's move on to more positive conversation as we yes, look ahead. Yes,
2: let's do that.
1: We yes. <laughs> look ahead a couple of weeks to the open championship. Rumor has it, speaking of rumors. You played the old course, Tom. What's it like just trying to put a peg in the ground on the first tee of the old course?
2: So Chris, I, I think we we shared this off air a little bit and I'll go into a little more detail. You know, I, the, the golf's been everything to me, Chris, in my life. It's It's been my whole life. It's been, it's kind of who I am and how I identify myself and how other people identify me. Um, and other than my, my wife and my immediate family, it's the most important thing in the world, the game itself. The game is my best friend outside of my wife. It's, it's, it's provided me with incredible joy and some and, and tragedy as well. It's just been an emotional ride for me. So my dream was always to play, uh, one of my dreams was always to play San Andrews. And I, my first, I, I played several times now, but my first occasion when I went over, a good friend of mine, Jeff Paul at the USGA arranged for me to have a tour of the RNA. Which was extremely special to me to get into the R N A and and uh, be shown around by by the by the curator. Uh, it was incredibly it just it just a incredible happening for me to be able to get in there. I held the Clara Jug, I held the Ryder Cup, and the, the Great Room, and 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 just through uh, up to up to the secretary's office and so forth. It's always incredible. So much so that when I came out, they had arranged me to play after, immediately after the tour. And this guy kind of speaks to who I am as far as what golf means to me. I, I walked onto the first tee, and just out of nowhere, I didn't even feel it coming. I actually just broke down and started crying, like a baby, like an absolute little child on the first tee. And, and the people who I was paired with, who they had made this amazing degree to play with, were looking at me like <laughs> it lost my mind. But it was so emotional for me to be there. At the home of golf. Um, and then after I played that day, I walked across and through the village to the uh, University of St. Andrews to the graveyard where both Alan Robinson, old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris are buried. It was kind of like a pilgrimage, if you would. Um, but it meant so much to me. And, and to have it uh, 150th open back there this year uh, is such a special thing for golf. And it just means it means the world to me. It's just an incredible place.
1: So you threw out the name Alan Robinson. Old Tom Morris, young Tom Morris. Got it. Alan Robinson. Alan Robinson.
2: So Alan Robinson, for those of you folks listening who don't know, and we've all all heard about old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris, Alan Robinson actually preceded old Tom Morris and was his teacher, his mentor, and was the first keeper of the green of the links of St. Andrews. Uh, he was, he's considered the father of golf, if you will. Um, and 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 the first, you know, the first club maker, champion, teacher, mentor. Um, so those of you who don't know anything about Alan Robinson, uh, you know, look him up and, and do some research. Um there's a wonderful book out there by Stevie McDonald, who's to the father of American golf, called Scotland's Gift Golf. And if you haven't read it, it's a it's my it's my favorite golf book of all times. It has nothing to do with instruction, it has only to do with history. And how, and, and how the game started, where it started and how it eventually got to, uh, to America. Um, but it's a, it's an incredible read and something if you're really a golfer in my book, if you're really a golfer, it's a book that it's a must read.
1: Tom, let's talk about what's going on as we lead up to the open. We just had the JP McManus Pro Am, which got a lot of pub for players that were playing in it. One of them, oh, by the way, was Tiger Woods needed a golf cart to play. Shot seventy-seven, seventy-four. What is your take? Hey, you know, for Tiger, I certainly you want to have another one last run potentially at, at St. Andrews. We don't know how many years it's going to be before it comes back in the Rotunda. Typically, somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven years before we'll see it again. And who knows what his health will be like that that far down the road. But is this sort of one last hurrah, do you think, for Tiger, since this is a flat golf course? Tough, you know, who knows what, where his leg will be nine months from now when we get all the way back around to Augusta National again. But I don't know.
2: Chris, actually, just before we went on the air, um, I was watching the replay of, of the KT McManus on the golf channel and watched Tiger make a couple of swings and saw that he was in a golf cart and, um, a damn manner is not a very hilly place either, you know, and yet he was not walking or not even trying to walk between shots in any way, shape, or form. Um, and clearly by the scores he shot, you know, the form is not tremendous. Um, I, you know, I, I say the same thing I always say to Chris every time I have this guy dead and buried, he pulls a rabbit out of his hat. But I gotta say, and I, I hate even doing this because I'm, I'm gonna get mud all over my face again. I don't see it. I, I think we've really come to the end of the road. Uh, the scores that he shot at, at the earlier events at both Augusta and, and, and the PGA championship were, were not very stellar and nor did this form look stellar in any way, shape or form. He, he looked like he was in a, a great deal of pain. Um, he didn't look like he was moving tremendously to me during the bread test just before we went on tonight watching it. Um, I don't have a lot of high hopes for, uh, any kind of miraculous endeavor this next week.
1: Tom, switching gears, I want to get a playing lesson or two from you on the mental side of the game. And I saw you commented on Twitter to a response to a video that the PGA Tour put out showing a player that had been sort of berating himself, missing a short putt, you know, kind of angry, you know, doing that negative self-talk that we do so often out on the golf course. And your reply was, attitude equals performance. You are what you believe you are. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, you know, because I've been really, really blessed in my life to be around some people who are incredibly positive uh in the coaching world, sports psychology world. Uh Two people that come to mind immediately with this question. Jay Wright, the just recently retired coach at Villanova, wrote a book called Attitude. Jay is a good buddy of mine and probably one of the most positive human beings on the planet. Um Every, the glass is always half full with Jay Wright, always half full. And there's always a way to get better. There's always, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, that's just the way Jay lives his life, the way he coaches and the way he, way he is day to day. Um, and I, and we've sat down and talked about it a lot as far as performance, you know, uh, you, you can't play positively in any sport with, with with bad self tort or bad attitude you just it's just not possible bad attitude does not equal good golf okay and then the other person who had been busted over you know almost <laughs> almost 40 years now and funny we've kind of been reunited here at uh, Farmington in Charlottesville is Dr. Bob Rotella who's a good buddy and, and he's actually a member of Farmington and we've spent time pre my Farmington years together on, on numerous occasions and now uh, actually was just over his house a couple of weeks ago and sat down and had some questions for him about my own golf game and my own, my own mental attitude and, and how I should view things at 63 years old as far as senior golf is concerned. And, you know, doc is again, like Jay, just so, so damn positive about everything. So why not? Why, do you, why, why can't you do it? What's the, what would make you think you couldn't do it? You've done it before. Why can you do it again? And in, in the famous thing that Jay Hosp said to me too, the great player on the on the Champions Tour and PJ tour previously, he said to me one time, he said, You know, Tom, the golf ball doesn't know how old you are. <laughs> and I've always remembered that. <laughs> I, I just think I just think that, you know, so many of my junior players, you know, play one bad event and they put their finger on the panic button. And and Paul Eisener said something really great to me, so profound a couple of years back. We were sitting talking about golf and you know, playing good and playing bad. You know, Tom, when you're, when you're playing bad, you never think you're going to play good again. And when you're playing good, you never think you're going to play bad again. And the truth is, neither one of those things are true. It's all a big cycle. And golf is a difficult game with a lot of moving parts at a high rate of speed. The guy who recovers the quickest is the guy who takes his hand off the panic button the soonest. And I've always remembered that by Paul and, and, and the great insights from both Jay Wright and Bob Rotella. And I think every day we put our feet on the floor out of bed because we have a we have a choice we can make and and I just choose that that my glass is half full. It's very very simple. I just think that's the best way to be successful.
1: So take that a step further, Tom. I mean Ben Hogan always used to say the most important shot in golf is the next one. How do we compartmentalize you know a bad shot and just put it in the back of our mind and go okay now I've got to go play this shot because we hit it in the woods or. Put it in a bunker or in the deeper, whatever it is. How do we compartmentalize that? Let that go. Move forward and now say to ourselves, "I got this next shot. I can put this one on the green. I can make par from here." How do we do that on a consistent basis?
2: Well, I think I think the first thing you have to understand, Chris, right away is, is there's two things you can't control. You can't control the future; it hasn't happened yet, and you can't control the past because it's already happened. The only thing you can control is the present. The only thing you have any any assemblance of control about is the, is the present, where you are presently. And I think in golf, it's so easy to get ahead of ourselves. See, if I make, if I make par on 17 and 18, I'm going to break 80, or I'm going to break 100 for the first time. Or, see, I can't believe I made that damn double bogey back on 15. How stupid am I? I, I can't believe I did. And you're carrying it forward with you. So I, I think one of the things you've got to do and you call it the, you know putting it in a compartment is you've got to understand that the only thing you have control of is the present, and you can't you can't live in the past, and you can't look into the future, it's not possible, okay, it's not possible. So, I, I think good players, two things, good players have very short memories, <laughs> they they don't they don't carry things forward, uh, or and. and a good buddy of mine, Mike Diffley, who's a great club professional in New York and a very fine player, played in a bunch of senior majors and won a bunch of tournaments in the Mets section. He and I grew up together, and and Mike has a thirty second rule. After he hit a, after he hits a crappy shot, you have thirty seconds to be pissed off. If you want to be pissed off, you have thirty seconds. You have a thirty second rule. After thirty seconds, you got to check back in. That's the rule. Um, and he and he lives at that rule and does really well with it because he's got a little bit of a temper. But he might get pissed off at thirty seconds, and then he clicks. It, he clicks the switch. He's back in, and you got to do that as a player if you're going to be successful. You can't, you can't be dragging things through the mud with two and three holes. You're you're going to spin recklessly out of control, and it's going to be over. Tom,
1: one of the things you mentioned is looking ahead, and we're both baseball fans. You know, they, the one thing you don't do in, in baseball Easy. on any level. Easy. Easy.
2: Easy one thing you don't
1: Easy. do. Is when the pitcher's got a no-no going, you don't ever talk to him about it. Most of the times, you don't even sit near him. But our
2: buddies, when we're playing, boy, Chris, you're playing great. You know what? If you par these last two holes, you'll break 80. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Appreciate that. How do we get ourselves back in the moment when our buddies have just let us know that we're about to shoot the round of our lives?
2: You know, I, I tell my juniors all the time, my college players, my, 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 my professional players that I coach, you know, your mental ability to stay in the present, your ability to stay positive, your ability to put things away that are done, uh, is a skill, just like chipping and pitching is a skill, just like driving the golf ball is a skill, just like being a good putter is a skill. Your pet, your, your ability to be mentally strong. And be present on the golf course in the present only, not the future or the past is a skill and it's something that takes practice. And some people learn it, uh, you know, in over a period of time and mature into that ability. And some people never learn because you know, they don't really think of it as a skill. They just think it's like something that's going to just come eventually. I think it's a practice. It. Um, I, I, I think that skill, um, is something that can be learned. Uh, can be developed. Uh, I think just like anything else in life, Chris, golf is so much like life. I think you need a very thick skin to play golf well. Uh, you know, almost a little coat of armor, if you will. You know, life throws curveballs at us all the time. You and I have had uh, we've had some off-air conversations about things in our lives that weren't very pleasant with with health issues, with relatives and friends and stuff like that. And those are those are tough. Those are tough things we get thrown at all the time. Well, golf Those things that's on the golf course all the time. They're called double bogeys and it's called bad swing. And those of us who learn the skill and develop a thicker skin are, are usually the ones that, that rise to the top. Tom, um, before I let you go,
1: Bob Grissett is my next guest, and I know the two of you know each other
2: really well. Anything you want to share about Bob? Bob Grissett, Chris, is, um, He's really an incredible cat. Uh Chris and I have known each other through social media first and now in person for a number of years now. And uh you know, he came to me late later in my teaching life. Um and I can tell you with all the people I've been blessed to work with in my life and, and learn from, and I and I've been Chris, I've been blessed. Ledbetter, McLean, Tosky, Flick, Strossbah, uh, Mike Herbrin. I mean I I'm gonna leave people out. And I don't mean to do that. Bob Ford. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. I I, list, I can stay on here for fifteen minutes about the people who have helped me in my career uh and mentored me and, and I couldn't be anywhere near where I am without all those people and all they've done for me. John Kennedy at Westchester, uh Mike Diffley, who I mentioned previously. Um Bob Brissett is is one of the greatest positions the tp fold of all time he's a brilliant guy he's a thoughtful guy he's he's a he's a incredible teaching mind coaching mind he is just his talent runs so deep and i have so much respect for the guy he's so passionate about what he does uh and he's been later in my life a huge influence on me I called him just last week one night, about 10.30 at night. He picked up the phone. I had a question for him about my own golf game. Uh When I look for information or I look for help uh with my own game, I, we're all, all still trying to get better every single day. He's the guy that I call. He's the first guy that I call right now in my life. Um, wow.
0: Know, so
2: you're, you're blessed to have him on your show. I love the guy dearly. Please give him my best. Um I, I, I The guy is just a tremendous human being and guys I I really dig talking to about the golf swing and and just a quality guy. So you're, you're really blessed Chris to have him on, so please give him my best.
1: I absolutely will, and you're hundred percent right that I am blessed to have him on and I'm looking forward to getting to him here in just a moment. T P before I let you go, remind our listeners all the places that they can find you, whether it's on your website and it's on social media.
2: I could care less about where they can find me, Chris. I wanted to say again as I I said the last <laughs> times I've been on, I'm so happy for you with that uh with that podcast poll. Um, you put so much into this. We, we are all blessed to be part of your show. Uh, you, you're the best at what you do. And I hope that uh, somebody out there recognizes that and we move this thing to the next level for you because you deserve it, pal. Uh,
1: I appreciate that very much, TP. I love you, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and, uh, and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks.
2: You got it, pal. Tell Griff I said hi. I absolutely will do it. Take care, Tom. Thanks, buddy. That is
1: a great Tom Patry. I'll tell you where you can find TP. TomPatry.com is his website. Tom Patry Golf is where you can find him on Instagram and on Twitter. And the best place to find him is on the V1 video app. If you're not anywhere in the Virginia, West Virginia, or D.C. areas, get a video of your golf swing, send it to Tom. It'll help you get to the levels that you never thought you could. he will get you there, and he will get you there this summer. Before I get to my next guest, Bob Grissett, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club by moving the heavyweight to the heel, center, or toe location you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares golf shoes. The patented Squares toe provides balance stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is not only one of the top instructors in the game, but a guy whose support over the last few years has meant the world to me, and that's Bob Grisset. Let me remind you about Bob's background. He played his college golf at the University of Miami. He's been annually named by Golf Digest as one of the top instructors in the state of Florida. He is the former director of instruction at the club at Morningside in Rancho Mirage, California. He's written a couple of great books, 10 Lessons, The True Fundamentals of the Golf Swing, and 10 Keys, Basic Elements of the Golf Swing. And I'm very honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm almost in tears with all the tremendous compliments that uh, Mr. Patrick played me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and well-deserved, by the way, so I'm glad you heard all well, of those.
2: Back at him, I love that guy uh he's just uh uh one of the one of the highlights of my life was um you know getting introduced to him and 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 becoming a friend and uh same with you chris you do a you do an incredible job a great interviews great show and i'm i'm happy to go in there and and try to vote four times the same day <laughs> <laughs>
1: i appreciate you Bob. i appreciate that very much you're awesome. So, Bob, it's, it's, it's been a little bit, almost exactly a year since the last time I got to have you on the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you?
2: Same thing. Just, uh, you know, doing my, my thing. Uh, I teach in Boca Raton um, and um, do a lot of a lot of online lessons to uh, clients uh, all over the world. Um, had like four or five of those today. The last one I did happened to be the Titleist rep. <laughs> In, uh, in Canada. Um, so it's, 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 it's always busy, uh, keeping up with the, uh, Instagram. Um, I'm just amazed how my pound has been growing. Um, I I look at it every day and it's growing a hundred to 200 to 300 people a day. It's crazy. Wow.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah. It's almost, it's almost at 4,000 and I haven't paid for any of them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they have they have, these, they have these things there where you can uh, pay somebody for uh, followers, and I've shied away from that. But, uh, yeah, it's been crazy. So, just, it's good to be busy. Bob, you've
1: probably broken down more golf swings than anybody in the history of video breakdown. When you look at the great ball strikers of all time, first of all, who are the great ball strikers of all time in your mind? And what similarities have you found that made them so?
2: Well, if I had to rank them as the top five ball strikers of all time, I'd, I'd certainly put Mr. Hogan first. And then I'd put my old friend, Mr. Mo Norman second. Um, uh, Lee Trevino is right in there. Uh, Tiger Woods is in there and Sam Snead. That's who I would rank as the, as the greatest ball strikers in the history of the game. I would rank Hogan and Tiger as probably the greatest two iron players that ever played. And in in you know dedication, desire, de- discipline, determination, the the work ethic that all those guys had um you know is 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 really beyond belief. Uh I had a phone conversation uh many many moons ago with Mr. Hogan and um basically he told me if you have enough desire, dedication, discipline and determination, you'll find what you're seeking. I was trying to I was trying to persuade him to work with me, but he was not going to have any of that. Uh, but it was, it was enjoyable to even talk with him on the phone. Um, look at Tiger. I mean, look at what this guy's been through in terms of his, uh, knee injuries, his back injuries. Um, coming back to win the Masters in 2019, uh, on the day he had that accident, and I've gone around that curve many times. I used to live in LA um a good friend of mine who's a doctor in Orlando told me that a friend of his who was a doctor at that a hospital um they they were going the leg was hanging on by a tendon they were going to uh, probably have to amputate it how they saved it is beyond me the fact that he would ever play golf again uh that was no chance in my opinion the fact that he would ever play tournament golf again no chance in my opinion and, and yet here we are um I was uh watching uh earlier today the JP McManus Pro Am in uh Ireland and um probably the largest crowds ever for a pro am. They had they had between forty and fifty thousand people and it was it was ten to fifteen deep watching Tiger. It was amazing. Amazing to watch. Now that would be my rankings in terms of uh ball strike. A ball strikers, you know, it's interesting. It's just, it's just like great swings. Great swings don't always equate to great players. Um, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, um, Grant Waite, um, one of the greatest swings in the history of golf, um, probably had a fairly mediocre, well, definitely a mediocre poor career. Wasn't a very, very good putter. Um, and there's been a lot of guys like that through the, through, through the, uh, Here's Tom made some interesting comments about, um, you know, playing and playing in competition and, and how much mental it is. And, uh, it takes a, it takes a, a special breed of cat. You look at Scheffler and, you know, everybody was talking about how great this guy could become and couldn't win, couldn't win. And then he wins and then he, and then he went nuts. You know, he won there, I think four times in like six weeks. Um, and continues to play great, and it, 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 people don't realize how hard it is to win on the tour today, and how deep the talent pool is.
0: I mean, it's unbelievable.
1: Bob, I want to go back for a second to the phone call with Mister Hogan. I tell the story all the time about the first time I had the opportunity to interview Gary Player, and I'd got I'd gotten a phone number uh, to reach out to him, and we were going to record the uh, segment. And, uh, leading up to it, I was afraid that I dialed the number and he wouldn't answer. And then when I dialed the number and the phone started to ring, I became more nervous that he actually would answer. And he was fantastic. And he's been a wonderful guest on the show for many years. And I can't thank him enough for how gracious he has been with his time.
2: But when you're dialing the phone to talk to Ben Hogan, what's that like? So, um, I was. Young, playing, fresh out of college, had spent, uh, four years with Toski at Ocean Reefs, had worked with Jack grout um, uh, and, and a number of Wild Bill Melhorn, uh, O'Neill Buckwhite, uh, some of the names people don't know, but some of the, some of the great legends and names and ball strikers in the history of golf, always trying to get my craft better. And I, I had it, I got into my mind, I wanted to work with Hogan. So I, uh, and I know he didn't work with anybody, but uh, I sent him a letter, uh, and I got a got a signed letter back, but which I'm sure was signed by his secretary saying that, uh, I sent it to the factory, to the Hogan factory. And he was saying, you know, he doesn't come in at all. Uh, and then I, I knew that he, that he played gin almost every day at Shady Oaks Country Club. One morning I pick up the phone and I call Shady Oaks Country Club <laughs> and I said, I'd like to speak to Mr. Ben Hogan. And the lady
0: said, well, he's not in right now. I had forgotten the time difference between uh, Miami, where I was living at the time and, and, um, uh, Fort Worth.
2: So I said, well, I'd like to leave a message. Could you have him please call Bob Gristed back? And then I left my number. And at the time I was living at the country club of Miami in a condo and our, 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 phone was hooked into a switchboard, which if we had calls, there'd be a red light on the phone when you came out. So I went and played golf that day think much of it and I got home the red light was on and I called the switchboard and he says a Mr. Ben Hagen called um name <laughs> and he wants you to call him tomorrow morning at ten A.M. Um so I did. I called uh Shady Oaks at ten AM Fort Worth time the next morning and and he came to the phone and uh you know I gave him a pre a brief history and uh he said he said, Bob, I can appreciate, uh, what you're looking for. If I gave lessons to everybody that asked for them, I'd be on the tee 24 hours a day. So I gave, made it a practice many years ago, not to give lessons to anyone, but if you have enough desire, dedication, discipline and determination, you'll find what you're seeking. And that was the end of the conversation. Wow. But it's <laughs> indelible in my mind. I mean, no doubt. It's, it's, I mean, it's uh, because he was obviously a hero to me. and uh um You know, but he, he, the four Ds is where it's at. And that's why I have so much respect for Mr. Woods. So let's
1: talk a little bit more about Tiger. And we've seen him struggle in the comeback uh, from the injury and all of that. Talk about the role that the right leg plays in our swing for right-handed players. Right. Do you think? Tiger's going to be able to, as you said, you never thought he'd play again. And, and if he, his leg was hanging on by a tendon, I could see why that would be your thought. But talk about the role of the right leg. And is he going to be able to kind of continue to play at a high level with what you've
2: seen? Um, this can take a few minutes to answer. So, you know, first of all, in, in, in golf swings in the history of the game, we have, um, uh, three pivots. And I don't I don't consider a a backswing a turn. A turn is a is a partial element of a pivot. There are three movements in the pivot. There's extending extension of the spine. There's side bending, uh, and then there's a rotation or turn. You can have a left post pivot. uh, Johnny Miller, Nancy Lopez, Bryson DeChambeau, pre long drive. You can have a center post pivot. That would be Hogan, Tiger, Snead, and most of most of the tour players. And then you can have a right post pivot that would be uh you know ballard guys uh uh rocco uh Ricky is a little into that right now or has been for a couple of years, and I think that's why he's struggling um, uh but regardless of all that um we, we get some confusion in golf in terms of the words weight shift and pressure shift, so we have pools to measure things now, which are pressure mats—they're not weight mats; they're pressure mats—and they're measuring ground reaction force. So all that means is they're measuring push into the ground. Like if you were to to take Usain Bolt and put pressure plates on the starting blocks for him to run, run the 100-yard dash, his entire body mass, which would be his weight, would be out over the track, but those those uh, pressure mats would be registering 100 as he's pushing into them to push off. So in a golf swing. Um, a left post pivoter or a center post pivoter is not moving any palm or any mass to the right, but they're both creating an early pressure shift. So at address, a typical tour player is going to probably be 55 to 65% pressure left. It doesn't mean weight. It's not going to look like their weight's on their left foot. It's just pressure into the left foot. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see like Gary Player as an example, when he started his backswing, he did that by kicking his right knee in. Well, that's, Shifting pressure to the left, and then he recoils back. So, so there's an early pressure shift. It goes from about from there to about 65 right, 35 left at P2, which is when the shaft's parallel to the ground. At P3, which is the left arm parallel to the ground, it gets to about 75, 25 right. At P4, and people will find this interesting, it gets at 50, 50. So four players are actually starting to shift pressure back to the left while they're still mid swing. so that at you know Hendrick Stenson would be a good example, although he's moving mass at the same time, but when he gets to the top of his back swing, he's dead centered uh he doesn't he he doesn't his head isn't to the right. so Tiger, in in his scenario or case is going to have to be a little more left post now. Um because he doesn't have he can't and he's gonna be a little more upper body oriented. He can't push off his right leg maybe as, as much as he can. He still can create um downward forces, which he does really well, meaning he's loading into the ground on that first part of that downswing, and then he can push up with his left side and his left leg. Which which isn't so great either, right? That's the that's the one that he broke, uh broke his knee in. Um, so I, I watched in the last two days and in the last 12 years, I have never seen him drive the ball as well as he did the last two days. I think he only missed like one or two fairways. Unbelievable how he drove the ball. He didn't hit his irons as well as, as he could have. Uh, but I just, there's probably a, a, a little bit of rust or jet lag, I would assume. He didn't chip as well. Of uh, course, it's hard. Um. Uh, but, uh, so Tiger's going to have to be, you're going to see a little more what I would call a left post swing where you'll see him at the top of his back swing and he might be a little closer to his left side with his upper body. Uh, and you can play that way. I mean, as I said, just John, Johnny Miller played that way. One of the greatest, greatest ball strikers ever. Um, Nancy Lopez played that way. Uh, you know, that, that Colin, uh, Colin Montgomery, great player from England plays that way. So I think that's what you're going to see from Tiger, and you know, I, it just, it really is going to depend with Tiger if he can walk, if he's able to walk two holes, you know, eighteen holes four days in a row. I was, I would have guaranteed anyone that he would have never attempted to play the Masters. Too hilly, that was going to be tough. It was going to be tough on him when he has all those side hill and downhill and various flies that puts a lot of stress and and you could see he wore down. And, you know, even Southern Hills to a certain degree, uh, is got is is hilly. Um and he definitely wore down there. So I think he made a good decision not playing in the US Open and and we'll see. We'll see. I mean he loves this golf course. He's won the um uh, open there twice. Um I, I know there'd be nothing that he'd rather do uh than, than win it. Uh in its hundred and fiftieth anniversary on that golf course, I almost think if he did win it, he'd retire. But, um, but uh, you know, that's sort of what we're going to see from him. And you know, I think it's still going to take. You know, people, I read these things, they post the you know, Oh, he's washed up. He's this or that hogwash. You know, uh, you know, people have to understand that ninety nine point nine percent of the people that were in the same situation that he was in would have probably lost their leg, and would have never walked again. Not only did this guy walk again, he's playing golf again. Pretty amazing. Bob, one more before I let you go.
1: And when I look at golf swings from back in the day, a lot of players finished in a reverse C kind of form, where today most finish perpendicular to the ground with their lead leg and back, both being that straight up and down. Talk about the transition of the golf swing from so many players being in a reverse C to now being out on that lead leg.
2: Yeah, that was in my era. We had a lot of, we we worked on a lot of leg drives, driving, uh, creating a lot of leg action, lateral leg action, which, which would be waist shift in the lower body. But going back to the pressure mat, it's not creating a downward pressure into the mat. So you don't get the same forces to jump up, which is what you have to do to. Be able to really hit it far. Um, there still is some, uh, uh, some slight backward bend. You know, it might be 10 to 20 degrees, maybe even 25 degrees with certain players, but certainly not the, not the old Mike Reeds and and Johnny Miller's where, you know, the back was in a complete reverse C. That's really tough on your, on your joints, tough on your knees, tough on your back, tough on your lower back. Now that I look back and knew that that's what, what I tried to do, uh, and I look at some pictures of that, uh, you know, my, my back gets sore looking at it. You know, I just think we'd be, we've become smarter in, in, uh, in, in what we know about the golf swing and what we know about how to generate power and, um, how the body should move. Uh, I mean, what I've learned, um, you never stop learning, but you know, I, 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 the stuff that I tried to do when I played is so antiquated in terms of what I teach now, or or, uh, or what, what's available for people to get out there now.
1: Bob, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Following following you online and then over social media as
2: well. Yeah, I think I think uh, uh, Bob Grissett, uh at Bob Grissett on Instagram is, uh, is a great place to start. Uh, you know, I post a lot of great content. I think I've made over almost 8,700 posts there. Um, you know, and I'm continually posting swings or, or certain tips. Um, my website, uh, bobgrissettgolf.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as well, both with Bob Grissett and Bob Grissett Golf. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, but I, I think. For golfers, uh, the the best place is Instagram. Uh, it, is, it is without question, I would say, that virtually uh, 90% of my business comes from there. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back
1: and be a part of this show. It's always a treat to get to spend some time with you. I hope I get the privilege of doing it
2: again soon. Anytime, Chris, you're the best. Uh, really enjoyed. I hope I, I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. That's why I have you on. I want you to talk more and me to talk less. So that's the best. That's, that's And you're uh, the best. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for celebrating. Have a you great too. day. And, uh, um, are you a Pirates fan? I am a Pirates fan. And we know you're a Steelers fan. Of course we do. All right. Well, no Steelers.
0: Thanks, <laughs> hey, See you, Bob.
2: That is the great Bob
1: Grissett, folks. G R I S S E T T is the spelling of his last name. Highly recommend you go check out his Instagram page. The stuff that he has out there so many great swing lessons, tips. You're going to get visuals of the greatest players of all time and what made them great. And bobgrissettgolf.com is his website. Go on there, make sure you bookmark it. And then if you're in the South Florida area, down in the in the Boca, Miami, kind of that sort of southeastern part of the state, and you're looking to take your your game to the next level this year, go see Bob. He's absolutely fantastic and a wonderful man. And I look forward to catching up with him again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Chris Sheehan, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies, and their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort Fit and performance while preventing any unwanted skin on skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. You can find these two under performance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield Sports Stores, all PGA Tour Superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillards, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at 200.com. That's the number two, UNDR.com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Chris Sheehan. Let me remind you about Chris's background. He's from Warwick, Rhode Island. He attended Trinity College over in Hartford, Connecticut, where he was the captain of the baseball and hockey teams. He was an All-Region and All-American nominee in both sports. In golf, Chris won the 2003 Western New York PGA Section Assistant Professional Championship, and he tied for 38th at the TaylorMade Adidas National Assistant Professional Championship later that same year. He spent six seasons working alongside three of Golf Digest's top 100 instructors, including Bill and Craig Harmon, plus Todd Stones. In 2009, Chris was the PGA South Florida Section's Private Club Merchandiser of the Year. He's been a PGA professional since 1999, and he's worked at clubs like Bighorn Golf Club, Oak Hill Country Club, Inverness, Tuscany Reserve Golf Club, Gateway Golf and Country Club, Pelicans Nest Golf Club, and Lebanon Country Club. And now he's the head golf professional at the Pittsburgh Field Club in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming back on the show.
2: Oh, Chris, absolutely. What a pleasure. Great
1: to be back.
2: I appreciate you.
1: So, Chris, I know it's been kind of a whirlwind for you over the last, you know, couple foot, couple three years. Talk about the the opportunity. How did it come about for you to go from Lebanon Country Club to my hometown at Pittsburgh Field Club?
2: <laughs> and the Pirates are beating the Yanks right now, four-one. So I'm sure that makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, yeah, you know what? You know when I when I worked at Oak Hill and Inverness, I always thought to you know the field club, that sort of hundred year old private club would be the place that I would get and um you know it didn't work out when I was twenty six. So we ended up in Florida and um you know we we got caught in the housing crash of two thousand six and we just kinda bided our time. We ended up, you know, saving our money and uh having the chance to sell sell our home and we get we ended up at Lebanon and uh, in 2017, and, and then the field club came open, and, you know, you go against all the young guns from Oakmont and, and Marion and all those kids, and, uh, poor membership of field clubs collected me, and, and here we are, uh, <laughs> you know, the 10th, the 10th golf professional of the field club in 140 years. So it's just, yeah, it, it was a whirlwind. It was, a certainly a, a life lesson in, uh, in sticking to your, your plan, your guns, uh you know, most importantly, being a good human and and here we are. I'm at you know, one of the finest clubs in America and I just can't be prouder to be the, the club pro at Pittsburgh Field Club. And
1: Chris, the course is an Alexander Finley design, and so is Lebanon Country Club. Talk about the the, the design and the layout of Pittsburgh Field Club and, and can you see? the similarities and the influence Finley had on both pieces of property?
2: You certainly can. Yeah. I mean, field club, it's the 10th oldest club in America. It was, you know, chartered in 1882. It's 140 years old this year, um, started as a cricket club and then golf became popular in, you know, the 1890s. And they had some members who said, Hey, let's, let's play three holes of golf. And then golf took over and cricket sort of died. And, you know, the, the property that the field club is on was was purchased in 1914, and um Finley came through, he routed it in 14, built it in 14, it opened in 15, uh, on June 1st. Uh The original clubhouse was built on, you know, opened in 1915, and you can definitely see some of the holes that are similar, some of the dog legs, some of the short, you know, some of the short par fours, some of the long par threes. Um, you know, Finley had a, a the ninth hole at, at Lebanon, which was originally the last, was a par three. And the ninth hole at Field Club now is a par three, quite honestly, because people died walking up the hill playing par four. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they ended up building an elevator in the 1930s. Um, and it was just, uh, it, it's just, uh, the, the, the 18th hole. You know, and people can, uh, can say, well, why would you have an 18th hole as a part three? It's an, it's an incredible hole. And I think a golf course, a great golf course consists of 18 great holes and the field club certainly has it. And it doesn't matter that the 18th hole is a part three. It's just a, it's a great hole. Um, but yeah, I mean, Finley was there and he built it and it's a Finley design. And you had Donald Ross come through and Tillinghass was through and Willie Park Jr. and, Robert Trent Jones, Arthur Hills, and most recently Keith Foster, um, did a bunker renovation and it, it's just, a, it's an awesome golf course and it's hosted some tremendous events. It had the 1937 PGA championship that Denny Shute defended. Uh, he beat Jug McSpaden. I mean, think about that. Uh, some of the people that walked the ground, the golf course that exists and, you know, back then the PGA was still 36 holes of stroke play and four rounds of match play and, um, you know, it had the 59 Western Open. Mike Suchak beat Palmer. Palmer missed a four footer on the last hole to lose. The low am was Nicholas in 1959. And it had the 53 open qualifier, which was interesting because back then even everybody had to qualify except the defending champion. And so Field Club held the 36 hole qualifier, which Hogan won. And he ended up going on to win the fifty three open at Oakmont, and they asked him about the golf course and He said, "Well, it's a phenomenal golf course, but the one across the street much better, which was a you know a shot in the arms of the field club and um you it's great to have you know Hogan play there and all the greats and um it's just a it's an old school perfect place, and while the golf course is great." And, uh, the tradition is great. and The history is great. The place wouldn't survive without its members. And, uh, they're truly, and you're a Pittsburgh guy, so you would know this more than I, I mean, the the members are just unbelievable. They're just so good and they root for each other and they cheer for each other and they fight with each other and they take care of the club. (laughs) Oh, it's it's just tremendous i mean they have such respect and revere for the club and uh you know today's modern private country clubs sometimes that's difficult with the growth of the boom of golf and the growth of new golfers and you know these people just absolutely admire and love the club and the clubs going through transition they got a new golf pro for 15 months and they've got a new chef and a new gm in the last 60 days and Uh, membership's getting younger. We're on a wait list for membership now, and, um, it's just an amazing place. Uh, it's an amazing city. Uh, and you know the people. Yeah. They're just, uh, you know, they're lunch pail folks. They, they work hard. They play hard. And it's just an awesome, awesome place. And, uh, you know, this is, Intentionally and hopefully, my last
1: stop oh so great, I love it, Chris. I want to go back to the eighteenth hole that you mentioned a moment ago because when I was reading the history of the golf course, the original design had it as a two hundred and seventy seven yard par four, but it was severely uphill, so uphill, like you mentioned during the summer, legend has it that some of the members died of a heart attack trying to climb it. It has since been modified into a par three with an elevator. That takes players up to green level. Talk
2: about that. Yeah, so the <clears throat> the seventeenth hole finishes at the bottom of the hill. And it's a wonderful um and so the eighteenth C used to be adjacent to the seventeenth green and you would hit a a drive a drive up probably a twenty five percent incline and um then you'd have to hit you know, wedge or mashy or whatever they were hitting back in the day, uh, straight up another twenty five percent incline and it was just it was just a hard walk. And after, you know, three hours and thirty minutes, it's a long walk. And it's it's a tremendously uphill walk. And um they did have some unfortunate passings and it was, you know, when it's hot and this time of year and they decided to Build a seven story elevator from the seventeenth green up seven stories and you take a two hundred and sixty five foot plank walk to go up to the eighteenth tee to a two hundred and twelve yard par three that uh t- sort of supports a little draw that curls along the driveway and the in the main clubhouse and uh it's a tremendous Green, it's a perfect complex where you can, you can hit it up the right side of the green. It kind of curls left. You can make one. You can miss the green left down a 50 foot hill down towards five green and down one fairway. And you can have no chance at making four. We, the, the, the club hosts one of, one of the great traditions of the club as well is, um, these are sort of parallel stories here. But there, there's a gentleman in Pittsburgh you may know and you may have read about. Uh, his name was Frank Fuhrer Jr. He was sort of the patron saint of amateur golf in Pittsburgh. Uh, he was a sort of a uh, working class guy, ended up, uh, with a beer distributorship, became very wealthy. But one of the things he wanted to do after a cancer scare 30 years ago was to give back. And one of the re- reasons he tried to give back was to golf. So he started a tournament called the family house uh which used to be, if you remember Peter Jacobson's two-day pro-am in Seattle, and you remember sort of a modern-day iteration is Faxon and Andrade's two-day event in Rhode Island. Well, Frank Fuhrer uh, had a two-day event of his own called the Family House, and it was in Pittsburgh, and it roamed around for a little bit, but it kind of stayed home in Pittsburgh and stayed home to the field club, but he would put up $875,000 of his own money for a wow. push. And he got guys like Els and Couples and Ian Baker Finch. And uh it was a tremendous two-day gala for club pros. And it was a Monday, Tuesday after a tour event. It was at Steel Club for many years. And one of the cute stories that they've told is, you know, Frank passed away in, in late May this year. So uh his tournament that we host every year has been sort of, it was very somber this year because it was the first since his passing. But one of the great stories about it was, when Ernie Els won the family house, he came to the podium and uh, and uh Mr. Fuhrer handed him a check for $165,000 and Els kind of quipped. I didn't know we were playing for money. I just wanted to support you in the city Wow. I'd heard so much great things about it. So yeah, it was out of his own pocket. So the family house kind of went away and he started his own tournament called the Frank, Frank Fuhrer Invitational and it, it ended up being 40 players, mini tour players, ex-tour players, Uh, five amateurs, kids that all have a chance, uh, kids that maybe will make it, uh, kids that need a break. And it's a quarter of a million dollar purse. First place is 40 grand. It's 72 holes over three days. And, you know, last year Chase Kepka won it. Now he's, you know, playing the, the, the LIV tour. And this year a kid who won it was, uh, David Bradshaw, who's now won it four times. And David Bradshaw has won the West Virginia Open 12 times. Wow. Which is only second, uh, um, to, uh, I think Steve, who won it 16 times. Um, so you get a super quality field and it's still at the field club and it's still a big deal and the members still embrace it and they give up the golf course for two days. And, uh, and that's what Mr. Fuhrer was. He was the true celebrity of Pittsburgh for golf. And, uh, it's just an amazing story and, uh, certainly hard-wrenching that he passed this year. at 96 years old, and uh, his family ran the tournament this year. They've committed to one more next year, and, uh, and we'll see where it goes. But um, the 18th hole last year, Chase Kepco doubled the 17th hole and then got stuck in the elevator for 30 minutes. <laughs> it shut down. So uh, he comes up to 18. He makes a tremendous par to stay in the playoff, and then we have a two-hour rain delay. And then this year, um, David Bradshaw, Eagles 15, Par 16, Bogey 17, and and Birdie's 18 to get in the house at even par. And the guy who was leading, his name is, uh the guy who was tied for lead. his name is Piri Borgia, whose father was uh, played with Pele, uh Ecuadorian wow. born. It was kind of a weird story, but this kid is a, it was a tremendous story. And he's got to make par to get in the playoff, and he hits it left off 18, and uh, and makes double and, and Bradshaw won his fourth and took his, took home his $40,000 prize. And, but 18 is, uh, you know, it, it has, it's part of the legacy of the club for the last, you know, 90 years. It was built in 1938. And, um, it gets stuck once or twice a year. Doesn't make it bad. <laughs> uh, sort of makes it interesting and juicy for people that get stuck there. But it was funny that Chase Kepke got caught after making double and then had to, Sitting there for about 18 minutes while he got rescued and then came up and made a heck of a par to get in the playoff and actually win in a playoff that was two hours after he finished.
1: Chris, one more before I let you go. And from a location perspective, the course is just six miles from downtown Pittsburgh. So I have to imagine you get a steady stream of players from Pittsburgh sports teams, past and present, coming through there. Who are some of the players that you've gotten to see? It's
2: a great question. Uh, in my 15 months, I'll say this: last last year we had, you know, and, and because of COVID, we've had to stockpile our Monday outings because people were shut out. And so the last couple of years, particularly this one, we're 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 playing catch up with our Monday outings and our weddings and things like that. But last year we had a couple of Mondays off. Um, I was able to. to I had a phone call from one of the agents for the Dodgers, who I had met. In San Diego, when I worked in the desert, um, and he said, Hey, can we, can we get a couple groups out on Monday? I said, Yeah, it'd be great. So you know, I just figured, you know, it's four or five guys and it's Mookie Beth and it's wow. Dave Roberts and Josh Turner and Max Muncie and Will Smith. And the real sweetheart of the whole group was Pools. He was incredible. Um, he was just incredible. And they came in, they had fun, we had the place closed for them, we took care of them, and about two weeks later we get a call, uh, Cardinals, who had talked <laughs> to the Dodgers, and said, you gotta see it, it's just <laughs> really cool. So it's Wainwright, and, you know, one of my heroes as a Boston fan was Lester was there, Matt Carpenter, and we sent him out with one of my assistants on a Monday, and uh just total gracious, great uh guys, and um and ironically about three weeks ago I'm opening this the golf shop and it's about six forty five in the morning and I, and I get three guys at the back door and I'm I don't really wonder why they're there. We don't have anybody teeing off till like seven forty five and this big six seven guy walks in the golf shop and says, Yeah, we got a seven o'clock tea time and I said, Are you sure you're playing here? And he goes, Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I've I've got a tea time with it was booked through um, you know, Tom Johnson. And I looked at him, I said, are you sure you're playing here? And he kind of looks at me, he looks up, and he says, oh, my God, we were here last year. It's Wainwright again. <laughs> He's supposed to play Fox Chapel. So he he gets, he gets dropped off with two of his buddies, and they're outside the golf shop. And then he realizes, oh, my God, my ride just left. <laughs> and so I said, well, hang on, I'm the only one here. There's only one car in the lot just take my truck. It's literally right outside the door, just take my truck and go over to Fox Chapel. It's four minutes away. He's like, You sure? Are you sure? I said, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So he takes my car keys, he takes the truck over to Fox Chapel <laughs> and plays golf and uh so but comes to about four o'clock and I call Alex Childs over at Fox Chapel I say, Alex, my truck's over He goes, Yeah, your keys are behind the counter He left it there. So it was Wainwright, just forgot where he was playing. And uh he was just he was tremendous to Jordan, he was tremendous to the to the club and just to have those guys there and, uh, you know, on their one day off, they probably get one day off every, you know, eight weeks. Um, it was great to have them at the club and it was good to see them there and, and have some fun and let loose. And But they were so gracious and I'm so happy that they were there. That's awesome. Chris, before I let you go, remind
1: our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things going on out there at PFC? Follow you on social media and anywhere else online as well.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, Twitter, it's at DFC PGA Pro. Um, and Instagram is kill club golf or Christian underscore she underscore PFC. Um, you know, I, I tend to post things about members and about their events. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say this to you. It's probably been, you know, five, six years since we first talked. And, uh, I know you're climbing the ladder and, uh, you know, the number one rated podcast in the country so uh, uh you know I'm, I'm happy for you i'm proud of you and all your hard work and i'm proud to be a small part of it um i wish you nothing but continued success uh with next on the t and uh your thursday night tailgate so um i'm just happy to be a small part of your program chris
1: uh, i appreciate that very much chris it's been a lot of fun getting to know you and your family and, and your travels and I couldn't be more thrilled that now I have you in my hometown of Pittsburgh and hopefully we get to share more and more stories about what what goes on there at PFC and, and uh stay up to date with what's going on in the Sheehan
2: family. I I'm blessed to know you. Well, absolutely. My oldest son broke a hundred today for the first time. Ah, College, good um, for they hand. Yeah, they're on vacation. Liz and the boys are down there with her family, so yeah, broke a hundred for the first time and uh but uh, thanks for the kind words. And next time you're in Pittsburgh, you make sure you call me. We'll play some golf. I look forward to it. Take care, Chris. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Chris. You as well. That is
1: the great Christian Sheehan. And, folks, a finer individual and a finer family you will not find on this planet. Chris has been a wonderful friend, like he says, going five or six years back. I've been privileged to have him on the show several times tonight was the sixth time that he has joined me. And each time it has been uh, a privilege and a wonderful interaction just because that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, Pittsburgh Field Club is a place that I can't wait to get up to see. It's right there in my hometown. It's a perfect marriage. Great golf course, great family, great PGA professional, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Hopefully I get the opportunity to catch up again with Chris real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Kyle Groth, I want to give a shout out to a couple of more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana that embodies the essence of quality function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear, Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing product. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Kyle Groth. Kyle is the co-founder and CEO of Whiskers Laces, which is a premium shoelace company with laces that are going to liven up your golf shoes and knock your socks off. Kyle is from Delray Beach, Florida, played college baseball at Cornell University where he was a team captain and played first base and outfield. His fielding percentage during his sophomore year of 9.95 is the fourth best all-time at Cornell. And he ended his senior season with a bang, hitting home runs against Yale, Brown, and Penn, and had 11 hits over his final six games. Started Whiskers Laces back in 2017, and I'm glad to have him with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Kyle, thanks for coming on the
2: show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. You do your homework. I haven't heard those stats in a
2: while. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Kyle, take us back to those
1: days at Cornell. How does a kid who was a three-year all-county player at uh, Pope John Paul II high school down in South Florida end up playing his college baseball up in Ithaca, New York?
0: Oh, man, I was, it was a shock. I actually met the coach out in Stanford, out in California, uh, believe it or not, and then ended up going up to upstate in Ithaca, New York to, to play in school and go to undergrad there. and. It was it was a shock to say the least. I think in, in South Florida if the if it was below fifty we would just cancel the game and play next week and in Ithaca my first game it was snowing and we shoveled the field. It was <laughs> a different culture for sure. But glad I went. It was a great group of guys, great university, so uh just a yeah, just a blast.
2: Hey Kyle, there've been
1: some pretty prominent people in the world of sports who, who went to Cornell, people like Keith Olbermann from a Broadcast perspective, hockey legends like Joe Newandike and Ken Dryden, Gary Batman from a commissioner perspective, go way back in the day. Robert Trent Jones went there. Dick Schaaf yep. went there. Our friend over on the football side to do a show called Thursday Night Tailgate. Ed Marinaro as a, as an alumni as well. Um, ever get a chance to spend any time around any of the Cornell legends?
0: Um, a few, you know, we we used to have um, just like athletic dinners with and some of the the Hall of Famers would come back into town and, um, got to meet a few of them, um, and some up and coming as well. There's some hockey players that were there while I was there that I was friends with that are still, still doing well. And, um, and my roommate actually in college was a quarterback. And so I got to know a good bit of, of the football players and, and the alumni there, uh, and trying to make it back every few years for some of the alumni events as well.
2: So Kyle, about five years ago,
1: you founded Whiskers Laces. Where did the idea to start a premium shoelace company come from?
0: <laughs> I think if you asked me six years ago if I would be in shoelaces, I probably would have said you were crazy. Uh, but I was—I've always been fascinated with, with with building fun brands, finding these kind of white spaces and categories that that were forgotten. Um, I started my career in spirits, bourbon, and then rum, um, helping grow a couple brands in those categories and then was always really fascinated with the stock revolution. Uh, and I knew a founder of one of the stock companies that really helped lead the charge and take, take that category from the black white commodity driven category to what it is today. Um And it was probably late 2016 when I ripped a pair of shoelaces, I was lacing up a pair of Cole Hans ripped a pair and then went looking for a replacement pair of laces. And that's when it hit me that there really aren't any. Uh you can you can buy your really cheap replacement lace of kiwis at the the pharmacy or, or grocery store, but there really wasn't and there weren't any brands out there that were making quality laces made in the US uh with different styles, designs that would allow you to to, to add a, a a subtle pop of color. And so once it hit I went down this like six month shoe lace rabbit hole just pulling all the data, the stats I could figure out and who's in the market, who's doing what, who's doing it well, um, what are some of the barriers to en- en- enter just as a company and a consumer. Um, and then I was lucky enough to partner and meet up with Mike Gossett, who's our chief of product. Uh, I knew very early that I didn't have the the product sense and uh and innovation knowledge. And so Mike spent 20 years uh, of his career at Nike and Crocs in product innovation. And as soon as I pitched him the idea he was in, he was on board. And so 2017 we started mapping out the product, figuring out how we wanted to launch, really test the business, test the category, um prove the concept and really prove that people would buy a better pair of laces, uh both from a from a product quality and also a style standpoint. And so we launched January 2018 was our first full month. Um and so we launched very intentionally in dress laces to begin with, knowing that it was a black brown primary um shoe category that we could disrupt with a pop of color. We could make the brand known, uh establish the brand as a premium brand, get some real good learnings behind us, uh and then and then roll out from there. And so it took a few months. Uh, I think our first our first month we sold a hundred pairs and we were thrilled and probably 50 of them were like friends and family. Uh, <laughs> and then by by April we started to see at hockey stick Uh, and then by, by holiday season in 2018, there were days where we were selling over a thousand pairs a day and trying to hire friends and family and get places out the door, uh, to people in time for the holidays. Since then, we've, we've expanded quite a bit. Um, so since really 2018, say early 2019, we started getting, uh, a lot of consumers just reaching out, uh, specifically for golf places, which I thought was interesting just because there's such a heavy overlap, uh, in those categories. And so in 2019, we actually did a, a small golf test with some of our, our, uh, our power, <laughs> our power customers, uh, got some good learnings under our belt to figure out what works for the categories, start designing different weaves, materials. Um, we we're also in the process of bringing our supply chain over to the U S, um, uh, in 2020. <laughs> and we had some, some large golf plans in 2020. And then, um, of course the pandemic hit and we wanted to make sure folks were still buying shoelaces at a time where, where they weren't wearing shoes. Uh but we were fortunate enough to really make it through the pandemic and uh come out strong and since then we've grown and now we have dress laces, boot laces. We launched uh thirty five different sneaker laces uh, and we're up to about sixty pairs of uh golf styles as well.
1: So Kyle, talk about the quality of your laces. What is it that sets them apart from as you mentioned, whether it was Kiwi the Kiwi brand or whoever's brand it was that you pulled and you know broke apart. Talk about how yours are different and better.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think that's one thing that, I mean, shoelaces have been around for, for centuries, right? I think it's probably been one of the most overlooked accessories around. And, um, and, and it's very common in, uh, as a footwear company, if you're looking to hit your margin, the, the first two places you look is you cut cost in your shoelaces and you cut cost in the insoles. And so typically when you buy a new pair of shoes, even if they're $300 pair of shoes, you're still getting that. Standard cotton lace that cost them 13 cents to make, uh, and so what we did is we tried to just play around and, and redesign what's in the shoelace and then how it's how it's woven and what works best for each category. Um, and so all of our ma- laces are made here in North Carolina. Um, we were able to update some of the um, some of the, the materials just based on durability and sustainability as well. Um, so all of our laces. Are made from recycled plastic polyester, um, some nylon in the, in the sneaker and golf, um, as well as, uh, our dress laces. And then I'd say another area that, that sets us apart a little bit is typically you get like that single plastic wrapped aglet. Uh, aglet is a, is a good trivia word. It's that end of the, the shoelace, the, the plastic end of it. Um, for our dress laces, we actually, we have metal aglets. And then for our golf sneaker and boot, um, we just have extra wrapped, uh, just much more durable aglets so they don't fray on you as you lace and unlace them.
1: So, Kyle, when I look at your golf laces, you actually have them in a couple of different, I, I guess you would call them styles because you have athletic golf and classic golf. What's the difference between the two?
0: Sure. That was, so that was one of the challenges when, when launching in golf, right, is there's, there's really two main styles of shoes when you're looking at, like, shoe lace length. Athletic is more that traditional sneaker. I think uh, Nike, Adidas, uh, Echo style shoe. Um, and then classic, we call it classic. It's really the old kind of dressier foot joy style that uh, takes more of a dress lace than an athletic lace. So we wanted to make sure we had laces for both of those and then multiple designs and patterns inside of each.
1: You've also got a team collection. And as a Steelers fan, I got to get my hands on the black and yellow striped ones for football season. But you've got them in all <laughs> kinds of different color combinations. Some out there. My wife's a University of Georgia fan, as is my brother-in-law. And I see you got some Georgia colors, Alabama colors, you know, Carolina colors. Talk about the team
0: collection. Yeah, that was that, that's probably so after we launched, we launched with kind of our our basic collection of what we thought just covered the basics and got consumers what they wanted. And then right behind that, we, we, we assumed that the team colors would take off for us and, and they really have across all categories, particularly golf. Um, it depends on the season. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. It makes total sense, but, um, particularly around football season is when those collections just take off for us, um, for both pro and college schools. And so we just continue to add to that. But I think we have at this point, we have, we're over a hundred styles. Um, and we have about 90% of, of the top schools covered at this And
1: talk about your classic and athletic caddy crates. Those
0: caught my eye as well. <laughs> no, absolutely. We, we did. We've been playing around with some fun brands. Um, we partnered with, uh, Palm Golf, um, to supply, um, some of their towels, their ball markers. Uh, we included some whiskered branded uh, use and uh, marker as well. Um, and then inside of that, we have both in the, the athletic and classic, uh, we have a three-pack of laces that just covers the essentials. Uh Those have done great for us. We're actually sold out of most of those now and in the process of restocking. Um, but that was a fun collaboration we did with, with Palm and really saw that take off. And that was one of the first collabs we've done in golf um and since then we've really seen just the, the category take off it's been it's been a ton of fun to be in it's golf as you know is just a joy it's a small world uh people are great to deal with and and once things start to take off they start to snowball um uh, so we've seen we've seen um a good bit of pga lpga players and caddies wear them over the past a uh, few months and so that's when that's when it, it starts getting really exciting when you get text and emails from friends, just seeing your laces on TV.
1: And Kyle, you mentioned a little bit ago, the sock revolution. And I always tell my uh, friends at work, don't try to out me. And you've got some very cool <laughs> looking socks as well. Talk about those.
0: Yeah, for sure. We, so we have, um we have kind of our coordinating socks and what we have is really our, our, our initial collection. Um And so what we wanted to do was launch with a few different styles of dress and sneaker style socks of that mid-range sock that allows folks to, to really coordinate with their laces and so all of those colors match with our top-selling laces um and and are some of our best sellers in golf as well. Um uh, but our socks also are made from recycled plastic polyester. They're all made in nor- here in North Carolina uh by a great partner of ours. And so and over the next 90 days or so, we should be coming out with a uh, um uh, some new fun designs as well in socks.
1: Kyle, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they go online, take a look at all the things that you have from the laces to the socks and everything else, and then follow you on social media?
0: Absolutely. So on social media, it's just uh, at Whiskers Laces. uh, And online, it's WhiskersLaces.com or uh, golf-specific, WhiskersGolf.com.
2: Well,
1: Kyle, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. Your your brand is exciting. I tell you what, the uh, the laces and the socks are something that uh, I've got to you know get into my shoes to make them look a little nicer. And like I say, those yellow and black ones for football season definitely are going to be in my shoes to uh, uh, root on my Steelers. So thank you so much for, for telling us all about it. And I look forward to all the success you guys have and getting you back on the show again soon.
0: Thanks so much for having me. We'll, we'll send a bunch of black and yellows your way.
2: I appreciate you. Take care, Kyle. All the best <laughs> to you and your family.
0: You too. Take
2: care. That is Kyle Groth again.
1: whiskerslaces.com dot com is the website. And folks, I got I got to tell you, right as a as a Steelers fan, obviously my eye went right to those, right? Of course. Of course. But when I started to look around at all the different team combinations, he talked about the socks and how you can coordinate the socks and the laces. How cool is that, right? To get those get get you several pairs of socks that that coordinate with your laces. Put them in and out of your shoes. Not only your dress shoes, but your, you know, your tennis shoes, your golf shoes. All that stuff is fantastic. To his point, who would have thought about that? You know, as he said, if you'd have told me six years ago, I'd be doing this, he, he wouldn't have done it. But, you know, that is something, right? That we don't think about. They can really jazz up your, you know, your outfit, your shoes, your, your golf outfit, whatever you got going on. A nice burst of color, like he said. Fantastic stuff. Whiskerslaces.com. Kyle Groth is his name. And I look forward to following the brand, watch their success, and then catching up with Kyle again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patry, Bob Grissett, Chris Sheehan, and Kyle Groth for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are our good friend and the host of the Golf Kingdom, Rob Strano, will be back, as will 2013 Senior Open Champion Mark Wiebe. And huge congratulations go out to his son, Gunnar who Monday qualified for the Barbersaw Championship this week up in Lexington, Kentucky. We'll round out the show with a big announcement from our friends up at the McLemore. I'll have course co-designers, Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, plus their CEO, Dwayne Horton, all on the show with me. So they've got some exciting things going on up there. Look forward to hearing all about it. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app out there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one, too. Just go to the search bar, type in Next on the T. You'll probably find us on there as well. Please check out our website, NextOnTheT.net, to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we give you links back to recent episodes and individual guest segments. So whether you've got 20 minutes or two hours, we've got some great content on there for you as well. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you have a lot of great golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you continue to make next on the team one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.